Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here worshiping the Lord with you and honor to bring God's word this morning. I just want to add my word of welcome to all of you, but especially any visitors that are here for the first time. Welcome. And also anybody watching for the first time, we're glad that you are joining us. I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Psalm 47. We are actually doing a series called Summer in the Psalms. So we're in the Psalms, so if you want to turn to Psalm 47, that would be great. We're going to be looking at that today. And let me give you a little bit of a foreshadow for next week. We're going to be in Psalm 75. So this week, if you're if you're interested, you can be reading Psalm 75 and kind of preparing your mind for a study in that psalm. But today we're going to be in Psalm 47, and I hope you're able to access those sermon notes And we will read the psalm together in just a moment, and then I'll pray and we'll begin. So hopefully you found it, Psalm 47. Follow along as I read. The title, God is King over all the earth to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Verse 1, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage, our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we are needy. We need your spirit to open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. I need your spirit to preach clearly and to preach truly your word. I pray, Father, that you would, uh, in the mystery of preaching, take your word and cause it to bear fruit in our lives through faith. God, I pray that you would impart faith to each person here so that they would not only hear and understand, but that they would believe. God, more than anything, I pray that your people would believe. And I pray, God, that as we leave today, I would be forgotten and your word would be remembered. I pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of the message this morning is Our Response to the King Over All the Earth. Our Response to the King Over All the Earth. And this is something that is um, true this morning, the, the, the truth of this passage is, is, is what I want you to leave really understanding because in a world where people question truth, there is a truth in this passage which is unchanging. Um, it is this glorious truth that God is king over all the earth. And that is the first point in the outline. It is a glorious revelation, a glorious revelation. This isn't something you would discover just on your own. You need God to reveal this to you. 
And the beautiful thing is that God is revealing it to you this morning in his word. There's there's no ambiguity about this. God is the king over all the earth. If you leave here this morning and, and you forget everything else and someone says, what was this sermon about? You're able to say God is the king over all the earth. That is the truth we need to grasp. And out of this truth is just tons of hope. We see it in verse 2. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. There are these names for God in the Bible, like El Shaddai, which points to God being almighty. But this is El Elyon, which is God over all gods. God Most High. And so the Israelites were were going into places where people worshipped other gods. And we we live in a place where people worship other gods. But the Bible is making it clear that God is over all the gods. He is the one true living God. It's a glorious revelation. We see it in verse 6. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. So there it is again. God is king over all the earth. And then in verse 7, for God is the king over all the earth. Definite article. The king. There is no other king over all the earth. God is not one of many gods over all the earth. God is the only God and God is the king over all the earth. This is the glorious revelation of this passage. And it meets a need of ours. So you have a need this morning. You need to know who's in charge. And I need to know who's in charge. I mean, we know this, right? When you start a new job, what's one of the things you're trying to figure out when you start a new job? I know the org chart, right? But who's in charge? Is this person in charge? Is this person in charge? Am I in charge? Who's in charge? You know this to be true. You have a need to know who's in charge. And you know this because when you have a problem with a company, you do what I do. You call up the number and you talk to somebody. And at the point you realize this person doesn't have authority, what do you do? You ask to talk to somebody who has authority. Can I talk to your supervisor? I'm not trying to be mean. I just need to talk to somebody who's in charge. Why? Because authority matters. That's what you need to grasp. Authority matters. And you have a need and I have a need. And it is a need to know who is in charge. And this passage meets that need. God is the king over all the earth. With whom does the buck stop? Ultimately, it stops with God. He is in charge. There's a dangerous notion in modern society with the idea that no one is in charge. People think the universe is just a a cosmic random accident and nothing happens the way it happens for any particular reason. Call it fate, call it whatever you want. But some people think that no one is in charge and people who think that no one is in charge, no wonder they are hopeless and feel a a sense of despair Because if there is no authority, then that's kind of what happens. There's chaos and there's despair and people get hurt. William Golding in 1954 wrote the book Lord of the Rings and it's about a group of kids that find themselves on an island and at first they make structures and they come up with rules. You probably read this book a long time ago. But you remember that without adults in authority over the kids, their rules were not enforced and you know what happens. There's violence and there's 
death. We need authority. We need to know who has authority. And God graciously meets that need by telling us that he is king over all the earth. When you reject authority, here's what really happens. When you reject authority, you believe yourself to be the authority. And that sounds good, right? I mean, doesn't that sound good? I mean, on paper, it sounds good. I'm the authority. But only we're wrong about so much. We're wrong about so many things. And when you live in a society where individuals think that they are the authority, then all you end up with are people trying to link up with other people who believe like they believe to impose their will on other people. And if you're interested in this, you can go back and read the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche, because this is exactly what he says would happen. He says, if we reject the idea of God, then individually we must will to power. We must impose our will on other people. And we live in a society where we see this happening. People who reject authority left up to their own devices. And we see the essence of depravity, just like in Lord of the flies. But the good news is that the world is not random. The world is not an accident. It's not chaos. There is an authority. And the good news is it's not you and it's not me. The best news in the world is that God is the king of all the earth. I want you to understand not only this truth, but I want to understand, I want you to understand that it is good news that you're not the authority and I'm not the authority and consensus is not the authority and the winds of public opinion is not the authority. God is the authority and this is really good news because God is a loving and gracious and holy and righteous God and you can trust him and you can follow him and you can believe in him. It's good news that God is king over all the earth. Revelation 5 talks about scrolls and John kind of gives us a glimpse into the end of human history on this earth. And and as part of that revelation of Jesus Christ, there's this scene in Revelation where 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 there are scrolls and the scrolls represent human history. They represent the past. They represent the future. They represent our reason for living. And no one is worthy to open the scrolls. You might have read this passage and John begins to cry because if no one can open the scrolls, no one knows why we're here. No one knows what to do. Nobody has authority. Nobody, nobody can say what's right and wrong. And so John begins to weep because that's no reality you would want to live in. And then there is one person in all of human history that is worthy to open the scrolls and his name is Jesus Christ. And so John sort of gives us a glimpse into the fact that Jesus is the king who's in charge. And if you want to understand yourself, and if you want to understand the world, if you want to understand where we came from, and if you want to understand where we're going, you need to look to God through Jesus Christ. And this is a glorious revelation. Jesus is the personal revelation of the triune God. God is king over all the earth. That's a glorious revelation. So the second thing we need to look at is a joyful command. So we know who's in charge. We know who has authority. God is king over all the earth. So what does God want from us? I mean, if you start a new job and you find out who's in charge, you usually kind of want to figure out, like, what do they expect of you? 
like a job description, or maybe you go to them and say, hey, what, what, what is it that you want from me to help you be successful? How can I succeed under your authority? What do we as created beings need to know about God's command over us? God has authority. What does he want? And this is really interesting because so many of the things that humans spend their time pursuing are actually not what God commands. Like God commands you to work hard, but God doesn't command you to be rich. That's not God's command. God doesn't command you to make a name for yourself. God doesn't care about how many Twitter followers you have. God's God's command is not that you reach the heights of success. God's command is not that you, you know, sort of project yourself to be this cultured individual. God's command is not that you save yourself. It's not that you earn your keep. God's command is that you believe in Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus become a joyful worshiper. That's the command. The command is to worship. The command is to worship. God has all the authority. He is king over all the earth. We are under his authority. And that's good news that we're under his authority. And what he wants of us is joyful worship. He's not an evil king. He's a gracious king. He's a loving king. The best news in all the world is that we are under the authority of God, king over all the earth. He wants us to worship. And what we need to understand in the Bible is that we are created to worship. We are created to worship. Human beings, you know this, we are complex creatures, right? We are complex We have an intellect, we have emotions, we have volition, we have capacity for gratitude and planning and creativity. And worship is what happens when you believe. When you believe, worship is the result. In your intellect, in your emotions, in your planning, in your volition, in all of the complexity of who you are, worship is the result of faith. Worship is the result of faith. We are created to worship. That's what worship is. It is living out in all that you are. Faith, which is the gift that God gives. Faith in God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're created to worship. Now, the scope of worship is very important. Because some people think of worship as just like what you do on Sunday. You think, well, I'll go to church and worship. Or I will, you know, turn on this station that has worship music and I'll worship. And those are part of worship, but they're not all of worship. So one of the things we need to leave here this morning with is a proper understanding of the scope of worship. God is the king over all the earth. We are under his authority and that's a good thing. And his command is that we worship joyfully. And worship is what happens when we believe. Write this verse down, Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so when you work in faith, it's worshipful. When you care for others in faith, it's worshipful. When you taste a good meal and you receive it in faith and gratitude to God, because you know God's the king of all the earth, and ultimately he's provided that meal, it's worship. And so the scope 
of your life falls under this command of worship. Some of you know that J.I. Packer died this week. J.I. Packer died at 93 years old. He's he's British, but he lived really kind of most of his adult life in Canada. And J.I. Packer is really a great example of a faithful saint who understood the kingship of God and understood the authority of God. And he wrote a book called Knowing God. And if I can recommend a book to you this morning, it's the book Knowing God. Sometimes when I go out speaking, people will come up and ask, you know, what are three books that have impacted your life? One of them is always the book Knowing God. And J.I. Packer, sort of towards the end of his life, was asked to summarize what his final words to the church would be. 93-year-old saint, faithful man of God who understood the kingship of God and the authority of God and lived it out faithfully. He was asked to summarize, what do you believe? And he did it in four words. Pretty amazing. Four words. And these were the four words. Glorify Christ every way. Glorify Christ every way. If you leave here today and you've remembered God as the king over all the earth, and if you remember that our job is to glorify Christ every way, you will have left with something that will energize you for the rest of the week in your walk with Christ. I couldn't think of a better way to summarize the Christian faith. Glorify Christ every way. And I think what J.I. Packer wants us to do, what this text calls us to do, is to think of our lives and to identify any area of our life that we know does not glorify Christ. And worship is what happens when you bring that area of your life under obedience to God, such that that area of former disobedience is now an area of your life where you can say, in this area of life, I am glorifying Christ, because that's the Christian life, brothers and sisters, to glorify Christ every way. And here's the really cool thing about this. When you grasp the kingship of God over all the earth, when you grasp you're created to worship, when you grasp that your whole life is to fall under the authority of Christ, the result is joy. The result is joy. Look in verse 1. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So when we bring our life under the authority of God as king over all the earth, the result is not sadness. That's not a bummer. The result is joy. I'm telling you, the more of your life brought under the authority of Christ, the happier you will be, the more joyful you will be. Is it a challenge? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. We were listening in our car the other day to a song by Rich Mullins. For you younger people, you'll need to Google him. He's a Christian singer from, I think, like in the early 90s. And he had a song called Hard. And the whole point of the song was, it's hard to be like Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus. It is hard, but it is joyful. It is joyful. And yes, some of the things that are most joyful in life are also most challenging. But what I want you to understand is that when you seek to glorify Christ every way under his authority, look, this means your joy. You're going to grow in joy. Holiness results in joy. 
So how do we do this practically? Well, the text gives us some clues. Let me just sort of point these out. It says to clap your hands. And this doesn't just mean applauding. This is a reference to your whole body. Your whole body is to be an instrument of worship. Worship, if it's to be joyful, has to be about all of you, what you see, what you hear, how you think, what you set your affections on. And so if you're going to leave here today and run in the direction of joy, you're going to need to do it with your whole being. That's how we enjoy this business of worshiping God. Number two, it involves music. I mean, let's not miss that it says, shout to the Lord with loud songs of joy. Verse six, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. We're commanded to worship. We're commanded to be joyful. We're commanded to sing. And we can't miss getting this, that if God is the king over all the earth, and if God commands us to sing, then we need to sing. And we need to worship and we need to lift our voices to God because that's what worship involves. Your whole body singing and it involves our minds. It involves thinking about God. Think about what this psalm is doing. This psalm is inviting us to think about how God is king over all the earth. And some of you like abstract thought and you're already sort of spinning in your mind thinking about what that means that God is over raindrops and he's over laws of nature And he's over every aspect of creation, everything above, everything below, everything seen, everything unseen. And when you think about that and when your mind grows and when you're thinking about God expands so that you think highly of God and you think more about God, that is part of worship. And some of you like to come to church and sing and that's really a primary avenue of worship. And others, you just kind of want to sit and think about God. And the more you think about him, the more you think about his kingship, the more you grow in worship. It's all of that. But number four, it involves people. Notice it says in verse one, clap your hands, all people. Notice it it says in verse eight, God reigns over the nations. And so worship is not just individual. Worship is corporate. So we need to gather and we need to think and we need to sing. And what we're doing this morning is an expression of what God's word says worship is. We don't come and do these particular things just sort of randomly or arbitrarily. We do these things intentionally because this is how God says we're to worship him. God not only reveals that he is king, but the king reveals how he wants to be worshipped. Our whole bodies, music, minds, and people. Well, why do we worship? We need to think about this for a moment. God is king over all the earth. God is a good king. He creates us to worship. Your joy is tied to your worship and worshipping the right thing in the right way. But this text gives us another reason to worship, and it has to do with God's sovereignty. Sovereignty. And that's just a big word, which means God is in control. God is in control. And he's in control over the earth, and he's in control over governments, and he's in control over people. And we see all of that in this text. 
He's in control over the earth. Look at verse 2. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. It says the same thing in verse 7, king over all the earth. And it says it in verse 9, the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So one of the things that will motivate your worship is pondering the fact that God is sovereign over the earth. Over the earth. Go to the beach, you see the waves. God's sovereign over the waves. He's in control of when they come and where they stop. And when it rains, he's in control of raindrops. And we see these clouds and they just seem to sort of drift in a way we don't understand, but God is directing them. He is sovereign over all of creation. And that, when we ponder it, leads us to worship. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So one of the things you can do is just be in nature. And when you're in nature, you see beauty and grandeur. And when you connect the beauty and the grandeur to a God who is infinitely beautiful and infinitely grand, then you're going to worship. So the earth is a reason we worship. His sovereignty over the earth. Number two, he's sovereign over governments. Look at verse 3. He subdued people under us and nations under our feet. God is sovereign over governments. And I think every Christian can say amen to this, that God is sovereign over governments. Kings do not have ultimate power. Presidents, not ultimate power. Supreme Court justices, not ultimate power. Governors, all human authority is under the authority of the king of all the earth. And when you ponder that, that nations come and go, Leaders come and go, right? I mean, we, we remember leaders, but they, they, they live and then they, they die. But God is the king of all the earth. This was true at the dawn of time. It will be true on the last day of this realm of human history. And for all of human history, it has been true as nations come and go that God is the king over all the earth. He is sovereign over the earth and he is sovereign over governments and he is sovereign over people. Look at verse four. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. The psalmist wants to invite us to worship God in all of his authority. And one of the ways he gets us to think about God's authority is not just by pointing to the earth or the governments, but by pointing to God's sovereignty over us as people. God is sovereign. He chose our heritage, the pride of Jacob. He mentions Jacob in verse 4. He mentions Abraham in verse 9. And you know, the Bible says God chose Abraham and God chose Jacob and God chose David. And you read Ephesians 1, 4, and it says that God chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. And you're not a puppet. You have a will and you exercise faith and you have a volition. But the reality is God is not just sovereign over the earth. He's not just sovereign over nations. He's sovereign over our lives. And if you're here this morning and you trust in Jesus and you've put your faith in Jesus, that has happened because God has graciously worked in you through his spirit for it to happen. And when you think about how you went from being who you were to the journey you're currently on in faith, how can you not worship? I mean, when you think about how God got the gospel to you, how can you not worship? You read Ephesians 2, how we were dead in our sins and God brought us from death to life. How can you not Worship. When we ponder God's authority, His sovereignty, we worship. 
Jot these verses down. I gave you Ephesians 1, 4. Jot down Matthew 10, 29 through 31. It says, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. I mean, Jesus is saying, look, I'm sovereign over the hairs on your head. You might like the number of hairs on your head. You might not like the number of hairs on your head. But whether you like it or not, Jesus is sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over you. And again, that's good news because he's a loving, gracious king. Write down Isaiah 45, 7 through 9. Isaiah 45, 7 through 9. And listen to these words. Isaiah sa- God says through Isaiah, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A plot, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making or your work has no handles? And Isaiah is saying God is sovereign over everything and he is the potter and we are the clay. And you read Romans 9 and Paul picks up these exact same words. What's the point? Worship. Why? Lots of reasons. One of them is God's. Sovereignty. We worship because God is sovereign and also we worship because there is certain victory. This is in your notes. There is certain victory. John Piper put out a children's curriculum years ago that we used in our church, my wife and I, for kids. And the name of the children's curriculum is God Always Wins. I mean, all of us want to be on the winning team. You know what I mean? And the Bible makes it very clear that God always wins. And the picture here, if you see in verse 5, here in this psalm, is of victory. Look at verse 5. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sounds of a trumpet. This is war imagery, and it's victory imagery. And the point is that in the spiritual battle that we don't see, but we know is going on, God has already won through the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is certain victory. We worship because God is sovereign and we worship because he is victorious. And this is great news. If you, if you read in, in Revelation chapter 19 and 20, I encourage you to do that. Sometimes when you feel defeated, read Revelation 19 and 20, where John describes how it all ends. And in the end, Jesus rides out of heaven on a white horse. He's victorious. He's, he's in a robe that is red. He's victorious over all of his enemies. And it says on his thigh is written his name. And Jesus' name is King of Kings. So here's the point. God is victorious. The Father is victorious by the power of his spirit through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we live between the times because Jesus is victorious, but you wouldn't necessarily know it by looking around. And so you need to read this book 
And you need to understand what it says. And what it says is God is the authority and Jesus is victorious. And it tells us one day Jesus' victory is going to be fully realized over all the earth. And until then, our job is to live under his authority, even though other people don't. And our job is to believe him when other people don't. And our job is to obey him even when we're told not to obey him because if he's the authority over all the earth, then no one can tell us not to do what he's told us to do or to do what he's told us not to do. And so this morning, this passage invites us to submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus through faith. Now remember the title of this message, Our Response to the King of All the Earth. You see, what matters more than you knowing God is king of all the earth is how you respond to the fact that God is king of all the earth. And a proper response is to submit your life to Christ, to to trust in him, to believe in him, and to see that faith make its way into more of your life. Honestly, ask yourself this morning, what area of my life does not demonstrate obedience to the king of all the earth? And then with all the energy you have, with all the energy you have, set yourself to bringing that area of your life under that authority of Christ. That might mean talking to an older Christian. That might mean grabbing somebody and saying, will you pray with me? But it means that you cannot live your life with just this area outside of Christ's authority and be happy about it. You just won't rest until more of your life is brought under the authority of Christ. I was reading a, I was reading something this week about a Scottish minister and the Scottish minister's prayer was, Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a sinner to be. And this is really the heart cry of someone who understands the authority of God. Lord, by faith, by grace, make me as holy as it is possible for a sinner to be. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us joy in this glorious truth that you are the king over all the earth. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that has not grasped this or submitted to this, I pray that right now you would give them faith to do so. And Lord, I pray that for those of us who have embraced this truth and are seeking to live in light of it, I pray that your spirit would give us assurance of our salvation. I pray that your spirit would give us assurance of our salvation. God, help us to remember the ways you've already changed us. Help us to give you praise for that. But God, help us not to be complacent. Help us not to coast on yesterday's victories. Help us to pursue new victories, new growth, new obedience. I pray, God, that you would give us in our church a culture of a desire to pursue holiness, to pursue obedience, to joyfully follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, I pray for anyone who's discouraged this morning. Would you encourage them with the reality that you're in control, that you love them, and that you are working for their good and for your glory through all the circumstances of their life, that you are sovereign? Would this be good news to our hearts this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.